There is a uh, Bible lesson that we teach. I've been teaching it for years, and many of you have taught it as, as well, uh, to explain that salvation is found in the book of Acts. It's called the three divisions of the New Testament. I am not teaching that class, uh, that lesson. I'm just referring to it here at this point. But uh, it's called the three divisions of the New Testament. It's a very interesting Bible lesson. And it talks about how that the New Testament is divided into three parts, the Gospels, the Acts, and the Epistles. And the Gospels is the four, the four books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They deal with the life of Christ mostly. And then there is the Epistles, which are letters written to the church by the apostles. And then there is the book of Acts that's, is, that is in between them. And the reason for the lesson is to teach that the book of Acts is where you find the plan of salvation. And that's the whole general purpose of it. This is uh, not what I'm talking about here this morning. What I am doing, though, is talking to you that I'm going to uh, start today on a series of teaching from the epistles. And the reason that the epistles are important is that they tell us how to live for God. And I'm going to hand out a brochure to you here. If our ushers would come at this time, I'm going to hand this out. This is an introduction to the epistles. The epistles are letters written to the churches, epistles. One fellow says, we always want to remember the apostles and their wives, the epistles. Well, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. The epistles are letters. They are letters written to the churches, and, uh, and they are uh, very important to us in our walk with God and in our serving the Lord. Let me focus this. I think this is the automatic focus. Maybe I hit the wrong one. No, that's a menu. I'm sorry. That's the one I want right here. Let's turn that one off. Turn this one on. All right, this is what you're being handed out now. And maybe we'll zoom out from it a little bit because you don't need to see this so much as you need to see the one in your hand, and I'm aware of that. So I'm making this where it's very visible to everybody out there. And... Uh, it's called the Epistles and Introduction up here. And uh, we're going to go down the list. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about these epistles that we're going to be looking at. Does everybody have a copy in your hand yet? All right. There's a few yet. And I'll wait for them to all of you get one. And uh, the, as I said, the gospel books were the, was the life of Christ. And then John the Baptist and talked about Jesus and ministry and, of course, his death, burial, and resurrection and so forth. And, uh, but there is no church established in the Gospels and there's no Holy Ghost given in the Gospels. The Bible says the Holy Ghost was given after Jesus ascended into heaven. I can give you more than one scripture about it. And then in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 2, the Holy Ghost is poured out. So you have to go to the book of Acts to find out what the plan of salvation is. Plan of salvation, of course, is brought out in multiple scriptures. Jesus named baptism, uh, and I won't go into detail on that. And the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and how it was given in the initial physical evidence of it, speaking in other tongues in the early church. And as it was in that early church, it hasn't changed. There are some church denominations today says that no longer exists today, but that's not true. They just say that because they don't experience it or they do not believe it, it, that it exists. But God knows it does exist because we have it, praise the Lord. In other words, you can't deny an experience, praise God. Now I'm going to uh, go to the part on the epistles and that's 
the one we're going to be looking at, letters written to the church, because I want to talk to you about what the epistles teach us. Now, everybody has a brochure in your hand, and I want you to look at number one. The epistles were letters written to the churches by the apostles and were all written in the first century. The reason being that's when all the apostles lived and all of them had passed away by the end of the first century. John, the revelator, being the last one to pass away. He died a natural death. The others were all martyred. And uh, I'm going to move on here to the next sentence. There are 23 total, that is 23 epistles, including the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation actually is an epistle in the sense that it was a letter written by John to the churches, to the seven churches of Asia. I have a Bible lesson that I teach, not a lesson, it's a series of lessons that I teach sometimes called the Hidden Epistles. And it's the seven churches of Asia. And it's the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation. And I have a series of Bible studies that I teach sometime on that. But it has to do with the letters that were actually addressed. I mean, this letter that was actually addressed to those seven churches. But then the whole book of Revelation is actually one letter written by John to all the seven churches. Now, I'm going on to the second paragraph, uh, which is this one right here. I pointed out to you uh, where it says Paul. Paul is the author of 14 of these epistles, 23 all total, 14. The other nine were written by James, Peter, John, and Jude. James is the brother of Jesus. There are two James. One was James, the brother of John. One was James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother. He was the son of Mary and Joseph, remember? Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. And then after that, they came together as man and wife, Joseph and, and Mary. And then they had a family. They had at least four sons besides Jesus and two daughters. They had two daughters. I can show you that in the scripture found over in the book of Mark, also in Luke. And uh, where they, had, they named them. Uh, also, the, the apostle Jude here was another brother of Jesus. So James this is, and Jude were both brothers of Jesus. Uh, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and was highly thought of, very much regarded, esteemed very highly, being a very brilliant man, very intelligent, very wise, and was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem when it was at its peak, somewhere between five and 10,000 people was, it was the strength of the church of Jerusalem in its early days. So James was a pastor of that church. So I'm pointing out here that these epistles, James wrote one of the books. Peter wrote two of the books. John wrote the gospel of, book, of John. And then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, four of the books, plus the book of Revelation, which is five. And then Jude wrote his book uh, as well. The book of Jude, which is the book preceding the book of Revelation, has no bearing on the book of Revelation, just an epistle. Now, the author of Hebrews is questionable. This is one that they don't have a question, but is believed by most conservative Bible scholars to have been Paul. And personally, I believe that it was Paul as well. If you study the book of Hebrews very much, you'll just, you can't help but to see Paul all in it. Paul's style of writing, the subjects he talked about, how he spoke about things and so forth is very distinct in there. He just doesn't put his name on that one as he did the others, possibly because Paul, and I'll bring this out in a few moments, was the apostle to the Gentiles. And rather than to have the Jews to back off from reading this epistle that he wrote, 
He never put his name on there so they would read it and gain the wisdom that he had in that epistle. It has tremendous amounts of wisdom in it and understanding of the Old Testament law being fulfilled in the New Testament uh, period of grace. Now, go to number two here. Uh, the epistles teach us how to live for God, how to worship, how to treat our fellow man using Jesus Christ our Lord as a pattern. So the epistles teach us basically how to be a Christian. This is why I want to teach this and this is why we're going to teach it because it teaches us how to be a good Christian. Sin is also named, this, look at this very closely, sin is named leaving no doubt in the minds of its readers what sin is. And I'll touch base on some of these as we go through the word of God, not only today, but in other lessons. These teachings are called the, principal, the, the, the practicalities of Christianity. The practicalities. There was how to live for God, how to serve the Lord, what to do, what not to do. Just the basic, simple things. Let me just say this. There's a lot of preachers that will preach against sin, but they'll never name sin. Now hear me very closely. When you look in the word of God, it names sin. So that there's not a shadow of a doubt, what are we talking about when we say sin? Okay. So I'm just saying that, that when somebody gets in the pulpit and just, man, they can be against sin. Boy, I mean, just vices they can be. But if you don't name sin, nobody really knows what you're talking about if they haven't heard it before. But in the Bible, it's spelled out very plainly. And not just one time, but numerous times. And so we'll touch base on some of those things so that nobody is in error on that. I'm going to move into the second paragraph under number two. We're also taught in the epistle the principles of salvation, not just the practicalities, in other words, how to live for God, but the principles, which explains how it's possible that we Gentiles who are not of Abraham can be saved and have the same hope as righteous Israel. How is that possible? And so that's brought out because... There were some of those Jewish Christians who questioned that the Gentiles could even be saved. And when they did question them, they also said, well, if they're going to be saved, they've got to come by the way of the law. They've got to follow, do the law. They've got to come to Israel three times a week to do their, do the, for the feast days. They've got to offer sacrifices, maybe, even though Jesus Christ was the supreme sacrifice for all sacrifices. And all these kind of things they had tacked on there. Also circumcision, and all the males had to be circumcised. Even if they were Gentiles, they had become uh, Christians. Now they had to be circumcised. And uh, all of that was put to rest by Paul's teachings. So this is also brought out how it's possible that we Gentiles who are not Jews can be saved. And that we're saved through Jesus Christ. Paul brings this out emphatically. Verse, uh, not verse, but the last paragraph, which is the epistles where it says here. The epistles also give us an understanding and true meaning of words such as grace, what it really means, hope, faith, love. These words can appear somewhat abstract until seen through the light of the Holy Ghost and the apostles' teachings. Now, well, you can just say these words. How many of you have seen these words in bookstores and, and uh, Bible bookstores, just hope, you know, or faith or peace? Well, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to who, how, and so forth? Well, Paul brings out a lot of these things, what it really means in living for God and serving him. Then finally, the last sentence, thus the promises of God are made more sure. The statement taken out of 2 Peter here. 
made more sure unto us who believe and seek to follow diligently the way set before us by our Lord. All right, so we're going to be looking at the epistles. And if you have your Bible uh, with you, I'd like you to turn with us to Second, I mean to Romans, the first chapter and the very first verse. And I want you to look there very closely with us. Romans 1, 1. Everybody say praise the Lord. Now, I want you to look at uh, the very first verse here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And then before I go any further, let me talk to you about the apostleship of Paul because Paul's apostleship was in question. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, before the Holy Ghost ever came and fell in Acts chapter 2, uh, the 11 apostles that were left after Judas had, dis, had, had uh, betrayed the Lord and went out and hung himself, as you well know. And uh, there was only 11 apostles. These 11 apostles all got together and they said, we've got to pick out somebody to take Judas's carrier's place. And uh, so they cast lots. Uh, casting lot is something, and I don't fully understand it, but it's something like dice. Uh, it's not dice, but it's something like that. And it's a way of numbers showing up. Whatever numbers showed up, that's the way uh, they did. I mean, you know, they cast lots at the feet of Jesus across for his garments and so forth. Uh, and so they cast lots in the first chapter of the book of Romans, these apostles, these 11 apostles, to find out who would take Judas's care's place. And Matthias's name, it fell on Matthias. Two men were chosen. Matthias was the one that was chosen so Matthias was said to be the number 12. So as far as they were concerned initially, Matthias was the one who took Judas's care's place. But it was not God who chose it. They never had the Holy Ghost when they did that. They just did it on their own. They did not have the leading of the Spirit of God necessarily. And so it was sort of their own. But Paul, when he came along, was chosen of the Lord very personally. And Paul, all through his ministry, had to pretty well defend his apostleship. So I'm going to talk to you for just a moment about Paul's apostleship because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what we are, most of us. I, there may be a few Jews. We've had Jewish people in our church from time to time along the way. Look at 1-1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Amen. Called to be an apostle. Look in Romans 11:13 for just a moment. I'll give you this verse. This is still in the book of Romans. And this is where Paul refers to that uh, 13th verse, this is, uh, this is 1113. For I speak to you Gentiles in so much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. Notice that. I magnify mine office. So what he's saying is that I'm saying some strong words here to you because in this 11th chapter, he's talking about Israel. And he talks very straight, straight to these Gentiles, but he says, I talk to you very straight because I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And then later on over in, in Romans chapter six, uh, 15, verse 15, 15, 15, and 16. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Verse 16 that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Now, 
I'm just pointing out to you, there's other verses as well. Uh, for instance, in the Galatians chapter four, there's a verse where it speaks about uh, where that he says, just as Peter was the apostle to the Jews, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul defends that position in place. Over in the ninth chapter of the book of, of, uh, book of Acts, after Paul had been converted by on the way to Damascus and struck down, and the Lord spoke to him and sent him in to see Ananias and so forth. Uh, Ananias said to him, the Lord has spoken unto you and said that you would be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul had this position in this place. So in verse one, where it says that he is called to be an apostle separate unto the gospel of God. And then verse five, I'm still here in Romans now, one five, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name and so forth. So I'm just pointing out to you here that Paul was an apostle and that he, uh, he took the place, I think, of Judas Iscariot. Now, uh, in the book of Roman, in the book of Revelations 2114, give us that scripture on the board up here, if you would, 2114. Uh, thank you. And it says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and then then the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. Now, there are more than just 12 apostles. The Bible in the Bible talks about other apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent, one who is sent. And so there were apostles who were sent by the church. In fact, in, 14, in, in the book of Acts in the 14th chapter, it talks about Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was not one of the 12, but he was sent by the church with Paul to go out and preach and minister to the Gentile people. And so in that sense of the word, they are sent. Missionaries today that are sent by the Oregon United Pentecostal Church, they're sent into foreign fields. In that sense of the word, they could say they, were, they could be like apostles, but they are sent by the church. But the 12 were men who were called of God and then they were sent of God. And they are very special, the 12. So they are set apart from just other apostles. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible talks about the fivefold ministry, the apostle, prophets, you know, pastors, teachers, and uh, evangelists and so forth. Uh, it talks about that in the church. But the 12 were very special. And these were, of course, those who wrote the word of God. So this, in a sense, the Bible that we have say here is the words of the apostles unto us, even to this day, as we have it today, in the New Testament particularly, I'm speaking of. Now, uh, let me move on here. I just want to make that clear because there's really only 12. So Paul was the 12th one. It wasn't Matthias, it was Paul. He took the place of Jesus, cared God especially called him. And Paul knew that he was that apostle. And he would argue with those other Jews saying, no, 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 that's not the way it is. Paul was brilliant, very well learned under the law. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the great teachers, law teachers of his day. Every Jew knew about Gamaliel, who lived in that area where Paul did. And Paul grew up under his feet and was very brilliant, not only intelligent man, but also understood the law and the word of God and was very diligent for the law. That's why he persecuted the early church to begin with until God smote him down, spoke to him. He saw a light greater than the noonday sun. He said, who, who art thou, Lord? He said, thou, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And from that time on, Paul said, Lord, whatever you tell me, I'll do. And so Paul began to follow the Lord and he studied and learned 
reversed, got reversed in the scripture so he would understand the understanding of the Old Testament and how it applies into the New Testament, how it's fulfilled. Now, let me move on here because I want to talk to you about another phrase here. In one uh, one and one five, uh, Paul, one seventeen rather, if you look at the uh, 17th verse, I'm sorry, I want to look at, I want to look at verse seven. Verse seven is where I'm going. One seven. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, called to be saints. He addressed the book of Romans to the people of Rome, uh, the uh, Roman church, as being saints. The word saints means the holy ones. A saint is not somebody that the Catholic church has designated as a saint. You know, I know they have their system where somebody is, you know, they're in line to be a saint. And then they, they come to the place where that one day finally after they're dead and gone, been gone for a while, then they are elected by the cardinals and whoever's involved to be a saint. And then they are an official saint then from that time on. And they're put there almost with the gods, you know, <laughs> they're put up there as being very holy and very righteous. I uh, remember as a young man going into these big Catholic cathedrals and just walking around and you'd walk, sometimes there's a big dome like this. And then there was an area that you could go in and out of pillows and by, on the other side was a wall. Just like if you could, just like if this wall was just a series of pillows and there was another wall outside, which there is, then there would be all these statues out there. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You've been there, you've seen those things. There'd be these statues and they were all these saint statues, all these saints, they're all lined up there. Everything. Sometimes people would pray to saints, thinking that the saints could pray to God in their behalf and so forth. You know the story. That's not what a saint is. A saint prays the Lord. There were saints in the Old Testament. A saint is anybody who is made holy by the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Holy men of old were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of old. They were prophets of the Old Testament. They were holy men of old. And God would move upon them. They would speak and so forth. And holy women, of course, as well. So I'm just saying, so when the Holy Ghost comes in your life and that Holy Spirit makes you a holy person and you walk with God and you serve the Lord, you are a saint of God. That's why sometimes we talk about the saints of God and that's the people of God, the church of God, uh, both those who have lived and those who are now living. Amen. Which is us, the church. So the saints is actually the church. So he addresses this epistle to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So when you're saved, You're called to be a saint of God, to live holy, to be holy, to walk with God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Praise the Lord. Now, everybody with me? Look at uh, Romans 117. Romans 117. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Uh, I'm going to read 16 so we understand the 17th verse and then I'm going to spring off from that. Look at 16 again, Uh, not again, but back at 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, to everyone that believeth. Then verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
Now the Bible said, he that believeth, that the eth means to continue to believe. He that believeth and is baptized should be saved and so forth. You got to keep believing the word of God and keep believing in God. And faith is never exempted from us in our walk with God as Christians. I'm speaking now to the church. You understand that? This is an epistle. I'm talking to you about not how to be saved. I'm talking about how to stay saved and how to continue to walk with God and serve God all the days of your life. Praise the Lord. And uh, I want you to go back over to the book. This is where this word originally appears. It appears uh, four times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. Once is in Romans here, one in Hebrews and also in the book of Galatians, the just shall live by faith. Here's where it started over in the book of Habakkuk and in the book of Habakkuk. And this is where uh, it is first mentioned over here. Verse 4, I'm reading here from Habakkuk 2.4. Then I'm going to back up and explain. 2.4, behold his soul which is lifted up is not uplifted, is uplifted in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now, let me explain to you why God told Habakkuk that. And this is something that many of you may have come across in your lifetime of walking with God, or you may be there now. So listen closely to what I'm going to tell you here. I want you to look at Habakkuk 1 and verse 2. We're going to back up to verse 2. This is a very strange time because the Lord showed Habakkuk that he was going to judge Israel for her sins. And he was going to judge Israel with Babylon. That Babylon was going to come upon Israel and that Babylon would would capture Israel and tear down everything they had and destroy everything they've got and take them captive. And that's what did happen, 588 BC. But he was telling and showing Habakkuk this was all going to happen. Here's what it says here too. And the Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt save? Why dost thou show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grief for spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that that rise up, raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack and judgment doth never go forth. I'm seeing sin after sin after sin and nothing happens about it. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. And he's asking God, why is this possible? Look at verse six. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. This is God speaking now. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity, their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And then uh, he, he comes back and says over in uh, verse uh, 12, art thou not everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. I don't understand, God. You're, you're ordaining the Babylonians that are mean as snakes. And they're going to judge Israel. And Israel needs to be judged. But you're going to use them to judge Israel. And he said, I don't understand that, God. And he said, thou hast established them for correction. Verse 13. Uh, thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil. Canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? 
Now, let me ask you something. Anybody ever been in a position like that? Or ever seen something like that? And you wonder, God, it just seems like it's not balanced right. I see wicked people, mean people getting away with stuff and going on and on. Nothing ever happens. And I see righteous people and it seems like everything goes wrong for them. And I know you're God of God. I know you're judge. But why are you using a wicked nation to judge another wicked nation, which is Israel, which is probably not as wicked as the, the nation that judges them? And so he's got a big question here. And I, I, I don't understand why this is, Lord. Look at verse 2 here on, on, in chapter 2 and verse 2. I'm just telling you that Habakkuk had a great big question mark in his mind. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon table. This is the Lord speaking out of Habakkuk. Make it plain upon table that he may run and read it. The tables is the, you know, the uh, plaques they would read. It says, verse three, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. I'm going to judge wickedness. I don't care whether it's Babylon or whether it's Israel or whoever it is. I'm going to judge Israel. Just keep your shirt on. Hold on to your hat. It's coming. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Verse 4, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not unrighteous in him, speaking of Babylon. But the just shall live by his faith. In other words, here's what he's saying here. This is what God's telling Habakkuk. You just keep on living for God and keep believing my word and keep trusting in me. And I promise you it'll all turn out right. I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. I may use this to do that and so forth and so forth. And it may not always be logical in your way of thinking. But if you just believe the word of the Lord. And folks, I'm just telling you here today. Amen. If you and I can learn to say, God, if it's in your word, I believe it. And sometimes there's things in the word that's hard to accept for me or for you in our particular situation or circumstances at that time. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes it's uh, some of you say, why am I going? Through? I know it'd be nice for somebody to get up and say, oh, you know, you're OK. So just pat you on the back and. You know, and uh, if you're if you're righteous, you're going to be okay, and God's going to bless you, and just pile a bunch of money on you, and all kinds of stuff. You hear, you see that on television, you know that. But sometimes it's not quite like that. So what do I do? Just say, well, I, God's just not fulfilling His promise. God's not coming through. God's not. He's not coming across like He's supposed to. No, no. You live by faith. God, I believe Your word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You said, be ye holy for I am holy. I keep on being holy. You said, you know, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together as a man of Sunday. Keep coming to church. Keep going to church. You know, be faithful. Give. You know, pay your tithes. Do the faithful things. Worship God. Hallelujah. Do all these things and be faithful unto God and God will do everything right in his time and in his way and his measure. And he'll never forsake the righteous. I want to leave a Psalm number with you. If you've got a pen, write this down. Read 91 Psalms, Psalms 91 sometime. I want you to write that down. In the, let me just say this. In the flyleaf of my Bible, way over here in the front, if I were to show that to you, I've got all kinds of scribble. You, you don't know what that is. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. I've got them, I got them all here. These are scriptures that I write in the flyleaf of my Bible. If I want to find a verse real fast that I don't want to forget, I write it down in the fly leaf. 
And I got, I got more than I even have to, I mean, I might as well go to concordance on some of it. I got so many scriptures there. But what I am trying to say here is that be able to go to Psalms 91 sometime and read it. Because in that Psalm, the Lord says, I will never, ever, ever forsake the righteous. There's two, two chapters that you don't ever want to forget. I've read them when I was very discouraged or down. One of them is in Revelations 21, 22, where it talks about the holy city. If you ever sometimes get real discouraged, read that chapter about with the Lord, where John gives, I mean, God gives John the understanding and the revelation of the holy city coming down from the heaven above. And he starts describing it. Sometimes just if you're really down, read that chapter. And then also read Psalms 21. He'll never forsake the righteous. And when you feel like, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this trial or test. And if you live for God for very long, you'll go through some of those things. And maybe the Lord tests, you know, just tests us sometimes to see if we're going to stand true to him. Why would he test us? Because heaven is a long time and he's not going to have anybody over there that's going to rebel against him. He's going to prove you here on this side of Jordan. Amen. And when you go on the other side of Jordan, you're on the other side You've already been proven, praise the Lord. And when you get that glorified body, you and I are going to live forever and ever with Jesus, praise the Lord. And we will be faithful to him. There won't, there won't be no more Lucifers over there. Amen. So I'm just pointing out to you here that this is one of the reasons that the Lord said, the just shall live by faith. Just keep on believing the word of God and keep on walking with God and keep on serving him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I want you to uh, think about keeping the faith for a moment here. I want to talk to you about church attendance a little bit. Go to church. Be faithful in church. And worship God. When you go to church, worship God. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Don't balance your checkbook. Don't play with your, your, your cell phone. Amen. Don't be uh, messing around with other stuff. But go to church and worship the Lord. I'm going to talk to you for a few moments about worship. Amen. I want you to go to Luke 10 with me for a moment. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 10. Where is it? I got it here someplace. All right, I'll find it. Well, I thought I had it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Luke chapter 10 and, uh, and verse 38. Luke 10:38. All right, everybody there? Everybody there but me, and I'm finally there. All right. <laughs> this is an interesting thing. I want to just talk to you from my heart here for a moment. It says here, now it came to pass as they went, this is Jesus and the apostles now, or uh, disciples at this point, I guess they were not apostles, so they were sent out. Came to pass as, as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. <clears throat> and she had a sister called Mary. This is Mary and Martha, and as you know, Lazarus was her brother, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, I want you to get the picture here. They went into the house. There's Mary and Martha. 
And Mary was there also, and she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. I need some help with her. Look what Jesus said. He said, Mary, get up there and help your sister Martha. She's doing all the work, you're doing nothing. Is that what he said? Now look at this closely here. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. You're just worrywart. You're worried about every little thing going on in your life. But one thing is needful. Everybody with me on this. One thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. It wasn't that what Martha wasn't doing that was a good thing. It was that she had chosen the good part of the two, the better part of the two, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, let me say something here today to all of us. You know, some of us, I think, are Mary's, some of us are Martha's. And I I think I have a tendency to be more of the Martha's style myself. I'm very concerned about things being taken care of, things done. I've always been that way and so forth. But we Marthas have to be careful that that's not where we stay all the time. There has to be the Mary side of us. And can I just say here that when you come to the house of God, find a place and a spirit and a Find something where that you can just reach out to God and worship the Lord. We go all week long and we may not be in the house of God, maybe on Wednesday night and then back on Sunday morning, Sunday night. And that's about it. And all the rest of the week, we're not in church. We're everything else going on in our life. And I know we're in Bible reading and I know we're in prayer and some of us are in the fa- we're in fasting and so forth. Uh, I'm just trying to say here, I know we're into those things, but we need to take care of that worship part. Praise the Lord. Jesus wants us to do that. And, I, and I've talked about this before. This, you know, they asked Jesus one day, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus said, and the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. That's, you know, the other person. And you've got the horizontal, you've got the vertical, you've got the vertical and you've got the horizontal. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first of the, the first four commandments is all about our relationship with God. And then from chapter five, I mean, commandment five, uh, which is, you know, honor your mother and father, which is your neighbor in that sense of the word. And then from there on is don't, don't, uh, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery, don't, don't steal, you know, it's, it's to do with your fellow man. And so what I'm important now to you that the first is very important with God, but the second is also there, but the first can't be forsaken for the second. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, there is an effort being put forth by this church and some of you in this church, and we've done it in the past of trying to reach the world. We still do. We are, we're, God bless you. We're a great church for that. And you, this, we're, we're a leader in that fashion. I guess you know we were the seventh largest giving church uh, in missions last year. This church alone in the United Pentecost Church. I think a couple of years before that, we were the fifth largest giving church in, in America. 
I'm just pointing out here that we're very, we're very interested in it. Your pastor goes to the foreign field a lot of times. And what he is constantly building over there is let's not just build an orphanage. Let's not just build a Bible school. Let's not just build a medical clinic, but let's have a crusade. Let's get people saved. Praise the Lord. Let's, uh, let's feed them, yes. But let's also bring them to the table of God so that they can be saved and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So it takes both to do it, praise God. And you can't leave off one. There are some who said, I think that we need to just feed the people. We need to reach the world and help feed them. Uh, they can be fed and grow up and, and, be, and be atheists and sinners and everything else and not serve God and go to hell when they die. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm being crude when seeing that. But I'm just trying to point out to you here, there is the need for worship. And if there's a need for worship in the whole world, there's need for worship for us too. So when you come to the house of God, and I know God bless all of you that work in this church, you take part in everything and the ushers and the musicians and, and the singers and uh, the parkers that park the car or help, help us to park the cars. And the list goes on and on and on, all the Sunday school workers and so forth. But there is a place where we need to just belly up to the table too. And we need to say, Jesus, praise the Lord, we need to hear the word of God. Amen. That's why being in the house of God is important. Uh, you, we may have a job in the church, but amen, let there also be a time that you are going to be in the house of God to do nothing but worship and praise him and glorify the name of the Lord and lift up the name of Jesus. Because Jesus said there's need of him, of need of, of this worship and there's a need of the Mary, praise the Lord. So I'm just pointing out to you here how important it is, praise God, that we also have worship in our lives, amen. So uh, church attendance is very important. Come to the house of God, folks, sacrifice if you have to, but be in the house of God and worship God when you get there and live for God and serve God and walk with God with all of your heart. I'm gonna give you one verse of scripture here about, uh, about living for the Lord. Let me give you one other verse. Uh, look in Galatians 5, 5 for a moment here. Uh, let me find it here. I lost my, okay. Galatians 5, I mentioned to you a while ago that the Bible doesn't just, say, doesn't just speak against sin, but it spells out sin. Galatians 5, 19 is the word, is the, is the verse I want, 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh, 5, 19. I think you find it over here. Thank you. These folks are really sharp. Thank you. God bless you up there. Now, the works of the flesh are these, which are these. Adultery, fornication, works of the flesh now. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, trying to be better than somebody else or equal to somebody else that, you know, somewhere's up some ladder. Wrath strife, seditions, you know, getting into civil rebellions and so forth, heresies, that's false doctrines and beliefs, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before as I've told you in times past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So what I'm just trying to say here is that this is just one place in the Bible where it talks about the works of the flesh. 
And so when we read these things, let's say, God, we want to lay all these things aside. Whatever's in my life, amen. If you've got a smoking problem, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You know you're not, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Keep it clean. Keep it holy before God. If you take drugs, get rid of it. I hope nobody in the church is taking drugs, but, you know, but I'm, t- I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about the doctor prescribed something for you to take so you can, you know, have better health. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all this stuff, you know, that, you know, you shouldn't be doing and people get addicted to all this on the street stuff. And, and I keep going on. Somebody wants to take a little nip of alcohol every day or something like that. Amen. Well, I can say a lot. I won't go any further, but any of our time is gone. God bless you. You're a great class. But let me just say this. Let's live holy. Let's live righteous. Let's walk with God. Praise the Lord. Let's love you with all of our heart. And God's going to be, and I've got some great things coming up in this book of Romans that I'm going to give you here starting next week. God bless you. Let's stand together. Let's give God the praise and the glory. And let's thank him here this morning for the privilege to be in the house of God and to look into his word. Thank you, Jesus.